Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Matt Granabetter and you're listening to Sorry Partner. And welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American champion Matthew Granovetta about golf coaches as bridge coaches, his love-hate relationship with forthcoming matches, and the many pleasures of playing bridge with his wife. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. How are you doing, Jocelyn? I'm well, Catherine. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. I was looking forward to talking to you today because something happened that I thought would make you giggle. I was sitting on the sofa playing bridge on my laptop and my husband walked past me and he said, so how are the bots today? (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, the bots they're in fine form (laughs) yeah yeah I just thought it was so funny that it's entered the parlance of our household that he would be (laughs) just asking me about them like the bots and they're a normal part of our lives which sadly they are they are they wouldn't be if he would actually learn to play I mean he keeps telling me one day maybe soon you know dangling that carrot teasing me with the possibility but it hasn't happened yet your husband plays right Well, he used to. And in fact, he taught me to play. But ever since I became obsessed, he (laughs) finds it, for some reason, irritating and annoying (laughs) to play with me because I apparently get very competitive and I do things like sacrifice, which he thinks is very unsportsman. Like, if it's his hand, he should get to play it and not have me come in there and take it away from him. He finds that just rude and offensive. So we kind of (laughs) might better 
for us not to play bridge. However, he similarly does dangle it as a possibility at some point in the future, like he could see maybe doing it in the future. But I've not had any luck pinning him down on when this will be. So it seems like you and I and our two husbands, we need to just go on a vacation and then basically force them to play with us. I think that's right. I also, because we, we, we know them each a little bit, know that they're both very smart and competitive people. And I just think they'll both get the bug. I cannot see how they can't get the bug. Mind you, I can't see how it's possible that anyone wouldn't get the bug. <laughs> but we have discovered that it is a, it takes a certain special person um, to become a Brit addict. You know, Jocelyn, though, I hate to say this to you, but they did marry us. <laughs> it takes a special person to marry us. <laughs> so why shouldn't they play bridge? No, but again, I think my husband was actually quite into it back in the day when he would drink with his friends in college and play cards all night. I think he thought that was very fun. I think it's when it becomes this competitive thing. And when it's a competitive thing between the two of us, it just doesn't go well. <laughs> so there you have it. But I would love it. I think he would be, I think my husband would be terrific. He, anyway, I, I would love for him to play. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, you know, should I play with him and you could play with my husband? But it sounds like it might be a better situation. I used to play with a man whose wife would sit at the table behind us. So they were always playing the same direction, but with different partners. So they could discuss the hands, you know, from the same position on their drive home. And that sounds to me like that might be a more suitable arrangement for you and your spouse. Hi, I'm Jim from the Chicago area, and I'm a listener supporter of Sorry Partner. What I really like about the show is it makes me laugh. And some of the things that come up in the show, uh, I'll be out for a walk or I'll be working out and I just laugh out loud. It's so nice. Not only does the show make me laugh, but it also helps make me a better bridge player. If you are thinking about supporting the show, there is a link to their Patreon page on their website. It's self-explanatory on, on where to go from there. If you find them to be valuable and it's important to you that they continue to exist, then I recommend supporting and I do support those kinds of things. So Jocelyn, on this theme of playing with spouses, I was foraging in the mailbag and we have heard from our friend Phil in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, Phil. Yeah, this is a short letter. He says, I learned bridge from my parents. There must have been a lot less homework in high school in the late 1960s because my brother and I played a couple of hours of bridge each night against my parents. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I would have loved that. I vividly remember my mum saying many times, down one is good bridge. Recently, while coaching some beginners, I found myself repeating those very words and realizing for the first time that while mum had said that a million times to me and my brother, she never said it to dad. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So does that mean that she was just being very sweet 
and encouraging to Phil and his brother. Mm. And she didn't have the same need to be sweet and encouraging to her spouse. Or does it mean that she never had any reason because the father always made all of his contracts? And so he never was down one. Right. Or when he went down when she wasn't so happy about it. Oh, she didn't (laughs) say it was good bridge. Maybe not. She glared at him in annoyance. (laughs) Familiar spousal glare. (laughs) Phil, if you're listening, maybe you can clarify for us what she meant. I'm quite curious. In any event, it's very sweet. Yes, it's very cute. And I love the idea of being able to play with a sibling and and parents every night. I think that sounds like a very good time. And our next letter is from Chris. And Chris is relaying a story that was told to him by his friend, Bob Jones, who died a number of years ago. But Bob was part of a group of friends that went and played rubber bridge on Chris's houseboat on Lake Powell in Arizona. And they go every year and have done for 20 plus years. So that's very nice. He says, we take one or two weeks and just go up and down the lake playing rubber bridge and water skiing, which sounds like a very lovely way to spend your time. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. Anyway, the story goes that Bob and his partner were at a tournament and they sat down and lo and behold, their opponents were Kaplan and Scheinwald. (gasps) Again, Kaplan and Scheinwald. Bob sat way up in his chair and looked over at Scheinwald and said, we play KS. (laughs) (laughs) Scheinwald looked over at Kathleen and said, finally, a pair we can beat. (laughs) As opposed to, we are KS. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's so funny. That's really cute. Isn't it? They sound like they had quite the sense of humor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Chris, thanks for sharing that story. That's marvelous. And finally, today we've heard from Colin, and Colin plays in Northeast England. He says, My funny story dates back to 1978 when I'd been playing for a little over a year. We went to the Scottish Bridge Union Congress at Peebles, and by late Saturday evening, we were near the bottom of the field. Oh. We sat down to play two ladies, and in these days, as well as smoking at the table and speaking your bid, we all had a small table beside us for drinks. (laughs) We were all well refreshed, and I offered the ladies a local specialty sweet, which they accepted, or candy. I opened the bidding one heart, mmm, on the left, two hearts from partner, mmm, on the right, pass from me, and another. Mmm, on the left. (laughs) Dummy went down and I managed to scramble eight tricks, then opened the score sheet to see a complete top as all the other opponents were in two or three spades making eight or nine tricks. Then the lady on my left said, I tried to overcall one spade, but I couldn't. And the lady on my right said she'd also tried to make a takeout double of two hearts, but she couldn't. It turns out the chewy minty sweet had stuck both their sets of false teeth together temporarily (laughs) and neither could speak. To their credit, they laughed at their misfortune and my partner referred to this event thereafter as the mint coup. Ah! Keep up your good work with the podcast. Best wishes, Colin. (laughs) 
Oh mm. my goodness. And therefore the bidding boxes were born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. Con, thank you so much for sharing that story. So if you have any good stories about playing with a spouse or how you successfully got a spouse to play bridge with you or about playing with your mom or encountering chaos at the table, please send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram or send us a voice message. These links are in the show notes and on the website at sorrypartner.com along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Matthew Granovetta. American champion Matthew Granovetter is also a bridge teacher, prolific bridge author, and publisher. He has won seven national titles, taken gold at the World Mixed Pairs, placed first in the Cavendish Pairs and at the Cavendish Teams, and has placed second and third in many international tournaments, including winning a silver medal at the World Senior Teams at the 2008 Beijing Mind Game Olympics. He and his wife, Pamela, were editors of the magazine Bridge Today for 20 years, and they co-wrote Partnership Bridge, a monthly column for the ACBL Bridge Bulletin, for about 25 years. We began by asking about some of his early memories of the game. I used to discuss bridge at the dinner table with my brother and my mother and my father. He was the first life master in Jersey City, New Jersey. And so he was well revered. Before he got married, he was what they used to call a bridge bum. He used to go to New York and play bridge for a living. Then he got married and he had to work for a living. We used to talk bridge at the bridge table and we had a team in the New Jersey double knockout and you would meet at different people's homes to play bridge each match. You would arrange. And one time the opposing team came to our house, which was just a modest apartment. And one table was in the living room and you couldn't fit another table far away from it. So we played on my bed in the bedroom, in this little tiny bed. And I remember today sitting on my bed. And I still remember one of the hands from that experience. So it, it had a big impression on me. Not many people play bridge in bed. And do you feel that that was the moment that it really excited you and became something that you wanted to do? I'm not sure if that, that experience excited me. Uh, what excited me might have been that I made the right opening lead. I led from ace, queen, jack, third against three, no trump, one, no, three, no, and my partner had five to the king. So that excited me. I, I was into the excitement of the actual bridge game. Usually bridge players, as you know, don't care where they are. In fact, to have a tournament here or there, how many times do you get out of the hotel and go see something where you are? You're in a room and you're playing bridge. And that's the excitement. That's what a lot of people don't understand who don't play bridge. I guess another exciting thing was to go to my first duplicate and play where there were scores. How did you end up at your first duplicate game? Well, I guess my mother took me and she set me up with a partner. 
And then later on, I started playing with my brother and my father in different games. I think bridge grew on me slowly, and it was an escape from the world. I had acne, and I could hide my face behind the cards, and I didn't have to go out with the redhead that night. I could go play bridge instead. It became my comfort zone to go play bridge rather than do anything else. I I think it's a fantastic escapism from the world. Many times, actually, I've played when I wasn't feeling well or I had a virus or this or that. I, I bring this up only because I remember that it never affected my bridge game. In fact, suddenly it cured it. It cured whatever it was. Because all I was doing was playing bridge. It cured if I had if I was worried about something during the day and I would go play bridge, all my worries disappeared. Now my worries were whether to play the two or the six. Is that what you love best about bridge, or is there another aspect that you that you love even more? Uh, yeah, that's what I love best. I love the escape from the world. I hate the thought of actually going to play bridge, but when I get there and pull out the cards. Uh, it's like Alice in Wonderland suddenly, oh, I'm here and I'm competing and it's so much fun. But the, the thought beforehand, oh, no, I have to go there and, and and with all these people. And I usually don't want to do it. But then when I, like I said, when I get there and pull out the cards, I'm very happy. And I'm not happy until then. If I, you go to a tournament and you, as you know, you sit down and you're waiting and you're talking and you're chatting. But when you pull out the cards from the duplicate board, then you relax because then you, you've jumped in the water, so to speak. So when you're getting ready to go and not wanting to go, what gets you to go? The knowledge that you will eventually be pulling those cards out of the board? Well, often it's a paycheck I'm going to get. <laughs> so if I don't pull the cards out of the board... If I don't show up, I won't get the paycheck. Uh, Often, it's a commitment. You made an arrangement to go play with a partner. Uh, Early on in in life, I think it was the thought that I remembered how much fun it would be when I got there. So so I think as I got older, I didn't want to play. There's a lot of players who were star players as kids. And as they got older, at some point, they, they quit playing because of the, they didn't like the tension anymore. Would you describe it as a kind of stage fright? Uh, I acted in a play several times. So uh, there's nothing more thrilling than being an actor in a play because everybody's watching you. But it, I, I would say it could be something like that. Um, think, uh, it could be like stage fright. I'm not sure. How, how do you mean by stage fright? Um, That's okay. I'm, I'm going to ask you another question. You also have a strong interest in theatre and musical theatre, and I'm wondering if that escapism is part of what you also enjoy about theatre and performing and that world. In one way, it is escapism to go to the theatre, but in another way, it's taking a part of life and, and making it more interesting. Even like a child does, he draws a tree or or he composes a song. Uh in bridge, people don't think of it that way, but many times I'm at the bridge table and I think I'm composing, especially if something new comes up and I have an original thought or an idea. Bridge is also art. What makes a good bridge player? Not necessarily a mathematician. Some people 
really can't count very well, but they play a great game of bridge because they're able to interact with people, with their partner. Is this what you meant when you were talking about how at first you learned to be a disciplined player and later you learned to be an undisciplined player? I was a disciplined player for many years because my dad was so disciplined. Everybody wanted to play with my dad because he just sat there and did nothing unusual. Okay. So then I got to play with his cronies. I had that big advantage because I was also sitting there and not disturbing them. You know how it is. The best partner you can have is somebody who doesn't do anything too outlandish. So you're never surprised by his dummy. My dad used to say of my mom, when she put down the dummy, he would say, you, you play the shock system because a dummy was so shocking. But later on, I met players. I met when I, You're referring to when I met Zia. Yes. When Zia first came to New York, he became good friends of me and my wife. And uh, we would go out to Pakistani places, restaurants, and we would come back from a, a day of Wall Street, where we were at the time on the American Stock Exchange, and he would come back from the bridge club where he was playing high-stake bridge. And he had us laughing and laughing the whole night about all the adventures he had, which nobody could understand except bridge players. Uh, but, but when I met him and then I, I played with him and I saw he was doing some unusual funny things, I decided to try it as well, but it didn't work as well. He was a good pitcher, but not a good catcher. If I threw in baseball, there's something called a knuckleball or a curveball. So if I threw a curveball or a knuckleball, he, he, he didn't have a big mitt to catch it. But if he threw it, he always expected his partner to catch it and still does. But picking up on this idea of, of the art of the game, when did you find yourself becoming more able to move into the nuance of the game rather than playing a strictly disciplined game? And the two things aren't mutually exclusive. Well, the nuances of the game immediately. I, I started playing seriously at, at 12. And as I went from uh, different systems and, uh, and reading all of the Reese books that we read at that time and, and playing, the more you play, the more interesting things come up and, and your every hand is new and an exciting adventure. And that's the art. The art is to, to get into the game and, and nobody can disturb you while you're in the game. Somebody sits down at the table, you're not disturbed. You know, the famous story of Terence Reese where they made a bet at the bridge club and they, they put a, opposite him a nude woman sat down to kibitz and the bet was whether he'd say anything. And of course he didn't. He, he continued on trying to figure out how to make his three diamond contract. Did he see her? Well, that I would suppose it's possible, but he didn't blink. The person who bet on that side won. Great. But, but that's, that's good. That's full concentration. Uh, I've had times where my wife, at the, where we weren't playing together, and at the end of the session, my wife said, thank you for talking to me. I said, what do you mean? She said, I said hello to you three times, right? <laughs> or somebody else. But I didn't notice because I was. In fact, when we met, we met in a tournament 
in Valkenburg, where she was playing on a on a team, and I was just kibitzing. And I saw her, and I asked somebody to introduce me. I guess I was formal in those. I don't know why, but she came out from a session, a twenty board session in a world championship, and her eyes were glazed right past me. She said hello, you know, and that was it because she couldn't focus on meeting somebody now. I'm, uh, she was involved in board number 16 in her head. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Picking up on what you were talking about earlier, you were saying that some players who are naturally very talented when they're young, once they're more senior in their careers, stop playing, maybe because of the tension why do you think tension becomes the reason why people might stop playing? Well, it doesn't exactly, it doesn't apply to me at all. It applies to other players. Many star players have gone into teaching and coaching rather than continuing their careers at the table because they were tired of the pressure. There's a lot of pressure for professional players because if they don't win, they don't get hired for the next tournament. And uh, many players began to, uh, There, I don't want to name them necessarily mm. unless you want me to, but it's not really necessary. There's, there, there were several players who played until they were 50 and then stopped. But is there a reason why? Like why is it that it suddenly gets to them? It's no different from when they were 40 or 30. I've never actually analyzed why they would stop playing 
uh, they would say, the ones I know would say that they simply don't want to, don't like the attention anymore. Do you think they're at a stage in their life where suddenly they have more more self-awareness, they've grown as human beings and they suddenly understand the complications in a way they may not have when they were just fixated on the game and not really fully developed as human beings? Maybe. I think that as you get older, you really can rely more on experience and you can actually play better than you played when you were young. The advantage of being in your 20s when you play is that on board 26 of it, after 12 rounds, you still remember where the seven of clubs is. For many of us, we don't remember. I, I lost uh, a national mixed pairs a couple of years ago with my wife when I couldn't remember that a seven of diamonds was high. And I didn't know whether to try to cash it on defense or to shift. And found I didn't want to give them the trick with the seven of diamonds. So I shifted. But now DeClaro played it very well, won it and squeezed my partner. And I've been in the doghouse ever since. But the seven <laughs> of diamonds was high. So I should have cashed it. Had it been the nine of diamonds, I would these say, actually, the seven of diamonds, I should have cashed because it was it became later on the uh, famous as the beer card. If I had been able to cash it at the end, uh, I would have gotten everybody a beer. Anyway. You, you would have been given a beer. I would have been given a beer. Actually, so that you were right. So I, I shouldn't have cashed the seven of diamonds. I had to wait till the very end. And then I went to bed with the seven of diamonds, unfortunately. Mm, well. Anyway, see, I, I disagree with everyone who, who quits. I think we get better and better with age in bridge. And you don't have to be so intense to win. You have to relax. You know that uh, about... Five years ago, I was hit by a car while walking on the street. I went to rehab, and while I was in rehab, I looked up coaches, people who coach professionally. I found Brian in Cincinnati, Ohio, who was a professional coach for golf. And I called him up, and I said, would you like to coach my wife and I at Bridge? And he said he knows nothing about bridge, but he would love to try it. So he met us at the rehab. That's how we got started. And he's still our coach today. Wow. And he's brilliant because he applies everything he says that he does with the young golfers to us. He said it's the same thing. To give you some examples, if he says, if you're playing against a famous player, do you get nervous? I said, so, sometimes we get uptight if we don't like the opponent. He said, why? It's the same hole. It's the <laughs> same cards. It's the same game. It doesn't matter. They can't beat you if you can make your contract with the cards you hold, right? All they could do is intimidate you with their faces, but there's nothing they can do. It's really interesting. What made you and your wife decide that you needed a coach and that the coach didn't need to know anything about bridge? Well, I guess we thought we needed a coach because though we were both really good players, when you're playing together as a husband and wife, you sometimes take a mistake 
that your partner makes as a, as a sort of like an insult. We would never make a mistake on purpose, but you feel that the person has let you down. Whereas if you're not married, of course you don't feel that way. Uh, you know that your partner's trying. So we wanted to get a coach to help us in the sports psychology element of the game. So it didn't matter that we knew right away the first time we met him in our first session that it didn't matter whether that he played, didn't play bridge. That wasn't what we need, wanted him for. We wanted him to get over any uh, hurdles that we might have in our emotional ties at the bridge table. Obviously, a husband and wife are more emotional at the table as well. And when something goes wrong, one party or another might feel hurt by the other. Well, you would never feel hurt if your regular partner who wasn't who you had no relationship with did something wrong because you're just playing cards. But with a husband and wife, you would feel that way. Um, he, he would tell us, uh, always remember that there's something called positive intent. Whatever mistake that your partner made, your partner had a positive reason to make that play. He wasn't trying to lose. So once you re realize that, you know that you, you should never be angry at your partner. Do you think that with a husband and wife situation, there's an expectation that this person is going to understand you so perfectly and it's their maybe failure to interpret something that you did exactly the way you wanted them to, like what you were saying about catchers uh, and pitches, and you feel let down and disappointed because they showed that they didn't know you as well as you had expected them to? It could be that, hey, you should have known it. We discussed it two weeks ago in, in, in the, uh, while we were going into the car. Don't you remember? You don't have that with regular partners, right? People just love that. <laughs> right. Or um, it often in bridge, winning is not the thing. It's just not losing. Sometimes there's a relief. Wow, we didn't lose. <laughs> it's much hurt, more hurtful to lose than, to, than joyful to win, I think. It's a really stupid game, isn't it? That we all spend so much of our lives <laughs> doing. Yeah, why do we torture ourselves? Right. <laughs> but we do it because usually because we enjoy the game itself. If you don't really enjoy the game itself, I don't think it's fun. Have you and your wife ever decided, you know, we're just not going to play together right now. We're going to play with other people and we're going to enjoy being husband and wife, but we're not going to. We're not going to play bridge as husband. On and off, all, all our lives, right, mm -hmm. all our marriage. Sure, sometimes we would play, we would say, okay, we won't play, we'll play on separate sides. We always do well when she's on one side and I'm on the other side because she always comes back with a good card. So I'm very pleased. You mean in a, in a team's, in a team's game, you're on the same team. Okay. We're on the same team and she's on the other side and I'm on that side. We always do well. But sometimes that's not the case. Often we're, we're hired as a pair, so we have to play together. And that's where we have to drop the emotion that we would normally have. When we were courting, Bridge is the, probably the best game ever for two people to, to date, right? Because you want to be on your best behavior and you get to chat up your day all night for three and a half hours while sitting there, <laughs> you know, and you're showing how nice you are. 
So it, when you're on a date early on, we won so much more then because we were just so happy to be with each other all the time. You know, it didn't matter we, if you made a mistake. Psh, next hand. One time we went to our first big win together was in New Orleans. There was a national bridge tournament in New Orleans, and somebody made a bridge pro uh, pair game before the tournament where first prize would be $10,000, okay? One day, a bridge. So we were living, this we just got married, and we were living in New York City, and the night before, we went to our friend's house, Paul and Sandy Trent, and they were professional players from New York. I mean, when I say professional, I don't mean that they got paid, but they, they, they could play their cards and bid without any... It was nothing to them. They, had, they were naturals, okay? They were, they were great players. And we played at home with them for two hours the night before, and they just destroyed us on every hand. It was like being punching our head against a, uh, like if we were a boxer, punching a, a big, heavy punching bag, getting nowhere, right? We couldn't do anything. And we went home and said, why are we getting up early tomorrow morning to fly to New Orleans to this stupid tournament? What are we doing? We have no chance, okay? So the next morning we fly to New Orleans and we're, we go play the tournament, and when we played, everybody was a good player, but nobody was as good as the Trents, who beat us up the night before. So it was, like, so easy to play <laughs> against all these people. They were terrible compared to the Trents. And we just cleaned up, and, and, and somehow we won. And we got a whole new... We, we, we Of course, it all went to furniture. <laughs> That's great. Do you still have the furniture? Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I don't think so. We've been on two continents, back and forth, living between then and about seven homes, right? You're known for playing with your wife. What's the best thing about playing with Pamela? The best thing about playing with her is is that she's a fabulous, steady player. It's like playing with my dad. May he rest in peace. It's she. She just doesn't make mistakes. Whenever she bids, she has. When dummy comes down, I'm not surprised. I don't think there's anything beyond bridge that's different playing with her than anybody else, except the sense that she's the most steady player I know. So it wouldn't matter that we were, the fact that we were married. Being married, I don't think changes anything in our game. What would Pamela say is the best thing about playing with you? Um... The best thing is when you communicate. Bridge is a very fun game. It's a very fun game for a couple. You might even say it's it's a sexy game because the card you play, the right card, you become close the way you defend a hand together. Or if you make the bids together that you that jive and, and come out to the to a good contract. Uh but that's that could be with anybody. Um but with a Husband and wife, or man and woman, it's 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 got an extra emotional plus to it, rather than minus, uh, where you want to get rid of the emotions. We have a system that we developed over the last ten years called GUS, G U S, which is 
another relay system where, where one hand is captain and asks questions from the other hand, and the other hand describes, while the other hand keeps asking, tell me more, please tell me more, please tell me more. Uh, that's a very, very um, strong attachment when you, when you can make a bid and you're telling somebody exactly your shape or exactly what you have, whereas most systems, it's a little vague. Two over one, you open a spade, bond of it's two diamonds, you don't know how many diamonds they have, you don't know how many, I've been, whereas in a relay system, you know exactly, and when you know exactly, it's exciting and fun. It's almost, I always say it's more fun to play Gus than it is to play bridge. Another system that you have invented with Pamela is the obvious shift system, which I love to play, but I get a lot of flack for it because people think that you must use count, 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 count. And this idea of obvious shift suit preference, very few times when you're playing, when you're using count signals, how can that be any good? What do you say to people who who say that to you? Because surely you're hearing that too. Well, there's an expression, old expression, because there's more one, more than one way to skin a cat. So if, if you like count, play count. Maybe obvious shift will do a little better, or maybe not on a particular hand. But uh, obvious shift is act, is actually an old system that was only codified by us while we were living in Israel. And my wife wrote the book, and I edited it, and. The main idea of it was when you signal a trick one, when you're able to give a signal a trick one, that you're simply giving an attitude signal. And when you say you like a suit, it means that you prefer the suit that partner led to whatever the obvious shift is. Right. And when you don't like a suit, you prefer the obvious shift. So it's it's very simple, but it was never actually made as a system where people thought of it years ago playing standard signals. If you played a deuce on partner's lead, they would obviously shift if dummy had a weak suit to that suit. Right. So it's obvious. Right. Okay. So now there are times, if you read the book, A Switch in Time, the exceptions to the rules are given right away. Here are the times that count is important and you should give count. Like when your partner needs to hold up an ace, or it's a, you're at the sixth level and partner needs to know whether his ace-king is cashing, things like that. But for the most part, you don't. I People over-signal. I, I tell all my students, I've learned a lot, by the way, the last two years by coaching rather than playing. I mean, I play because when we play, we usually play online while we're coaching. But I, I learned to get what the average player's mind is thinking and their problems. And one of the things that's mistaught is that, that you should keep giving signals. But the truth is that after the middle of the hand, there should never be any more signals necessary. The reason is you're probably wasting cards by trying to signal and wasting energy. Makes sense. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you at the bridge table? All right. I was playing in the Lancia match. A Lancia match was when I was 25. The group known as the Blue Team from Italy went around playing matches with Omar Cherie. And if you beat them, you all got a Lancia car. 
Okay, that was your reward. Nice. And they did this. It was it was sponsored by Alitalia and and Lancia. Okay, so Omar had just come off a lot of hit movies then, and he was pretty. Uh, you probably only know him when he got older, what he looked like. But he he was very handsome then and very charismatic, and he was an excellent bridge player too. So we were playing against this team, and going into the last set, we were losing. And we had a lot of stage fright during that match. And I had made a number of mistakes. And at some point, with still there were 10 hands to go, somebody comes in with a little piece of paper and hands it, somebody who worked at the hotel and hands it to Omar. And he looks at it and puts it down. And we continue, and now Omar is getting sloppy. He's playing very fast and angry if I'm not playing fast. And he's he's making a few errors here and there, which he's not. He doesn't usually. Well, it turns out with good luck we won, and everybody left the table, and the note is still on the table. He's gone. So I, it's all right. I pick up the note to look at it, and it said. Hurry up, I'm in room 123. <laughs> Did you get your Lancia? Yeah, so thanks to her. <laughs> <laughs> so that also teaches you another thing, that you win at bridge when the opponents make mistakes. You don't win when they play well. No. Half the battle is if they're if they're not playing well. Many times I've won in the last ten boards of duplicates or tournaments when I'm average going into the last ten boards. But now every round you play against a pair that's tired or or making mistakes or don't care anymore, and and you just go on a streak. What's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you when you were at the table? Well, this has happened to many people, but it was so embarrassing for me. I was playing against Al Roth and Barbara Rappaport, who were two famous stars in New York. And I was an up-and-coming, I thought of myself as an up-and-coming guy. And they reached six spades. And I had queen, jack, ten, nine of spades. And no matter what I could think of, I had two spade tricks, right? So when it went pass, pass, I doubled. And it went pass, pass, six, no trump, and they wrapped it up. Yeah, that has definitely happened. And my, I was just, my face was red. Oh, it was so embarrassing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that's Victor Mitchell, who was my mentor when I was a kid. Uh, he was known as the expert's expert in New York at, he he was the guy, he was the godfather of all the expert bridge players in New York and all the students as well. And he said a famous quote, which I'll never forget, bridge makes fools of, fools of us all. And if you can't take that, you can't really play bridge. You have to know that sometimes you're going to look foolish. That's great. Do you have a favorite convention or gadget that you really love to play? Um, I like. It's part of the Gus system, but it could be played by in standard if you wanted to adopt it. It's called a one-under raise by the opener. So, if, for example, the opener opens a diamond, which we do playing a strong club a lot, 
and our partner bids a spade, when we reap it two hearts, instead of it being a reverse, a diamond, pass a spade, pass two hearts, instead of using that as a reverse, that says, I have a good raise to two spades. And that has won us tons of points because it's a, it's a convention that comes up all the time. I'm familiar with that in terms of as an advancer with an overcall, but I had not heard of that as a opener and responder. Probably if you think back how many times you've had a real reverse from a diamond of spade <laughs> to two hearts, it's probably once every two years. It's not enough. Whereas you have a, a good raise versus a bad raise in spades a couple of times a night. So uh, anyway, that's, that's, my, that's my favorite little one. Are there any conventions that you actually think are a complete waste of time? Well, the convention that you play upside down signals, if you call that a convention. Okay. <laughs> if you want to call that a convention, I think that's a waste of time. Even those who play upside down signals, like Mextroth and Ridewell, when they play together, play when they read an ace or a king, they used to play from an ace from an ace king, they played right side up, even though they play upside down in, in every other case. Uh, upside down signals have have no real advantage, as far as I can tell, and get in the way when you have to throw a high card in a suit that you need to protect and you want to just play a low one, say shift. One time, one of my opponents playing upside down had the jack, the 10, and a little one. And his partner led the ace from ace-king, and then he had three little. He had the jack, the 10, and a little one. So he couldn't play his little one because his partner would continue with the king and another into my queen. So he had to throw the jack or the 10 to stop his partner from continuing. But then I was able to finesse his other honor. I had the queen nine and I was able to play low to the nine and force the ace. But there's a lot of, a lot of things and people will argue about this. Uh, another convention I really don't like is when you use double of one no trump artificially, I, I much prefer it as a penalty double, especially nowadays when you, people open a no trump on such poor hands and you need to sh be able to double to show a good hand. I, I also don't play don't. I play it's very simple. One no trump double is a good hand and one no trump two clubs is the majors. And that's another convention I don't like when it goes one no trump two hearts to show both majors, because you often want to do that with 5-4, but partner doesn't know where your 5 is and where your 4 is. So if, if he's even 2-2 two, two, or 3-3, three, three, he doesn't know which suit to play in. Whereas if you're able to bid two clubs to show the majors, he can bid two diamonds and ask you bid your longer major. Uh, I don't like two over one game forcing. If I'm playing with a student I like to play or with someone where I'm not playing a strong club system, uh, I like to play two over one is game forcing unless you rebid the suit. That was the original way that Al Roth invented two over one. Al Roth was an icon when I grew up at the Mayfair Bridge Club, and he invented forcing no trump and two over one. And he was very adamant that you could bid two over one. For example, you didn't want to bid one no trump. If you if you had a um, 10, 11 points and, and a long minor, sometimes you don't want to grab the no trump from your side because you don't have the stoppers in the other suits. So, yeah. 
What is the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? The best advice I was ever given at the bridge table was when Edgar Kaplan, who was a friend of ours and also a famous player and editor of the Bridge World magazine for many years, told me, don't second guess yourself. Go with your first instinct at the table. It's usually the right thing. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's been great. You guys were great, and you did a wonderful job asking very intriguing questions. Thank you. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Matthew Granovetta. Thank you also to our listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso and Jade Gray. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show, which gets you a special insider's newsletter. These links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are under the episode description in your app on the website at sorrypartner.com or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Matt says, go with your first instinct at the table. It's usually the right thing to do. Thank you, partner. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. I mean, is the first instinct the right thing to do? Maybe for him, but you know. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.